there. Thanks for tuning in to one of our online sermons today. My name is Brianna Grunwald, and I'm the River Kids Director here at our Burton location at the River Church. And we'd love to connect with you today. One of the ways that you can connect is by texting River Connect one word, to 970-00, or by visiting our website at theriverchurch.cc to see more about who we are, what we do, and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church, you can do so by texting that dollar amount to 84321, or by clicking the Give tab on our website. We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the message today. Well, good morning. And happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. It is always good to be here. Um, a lot of newer faces for me. My name is um, Dr. Randy Johnson, or just referenced as Doc, and I'm one of the pastors with the River Church. I typically bounce around where needed, uh, the Mickey Stanley of the Tigers of 68, do you remember that? Shortstop or center field, right? Um, wherever they need me, just put me in the game, coach, and I'll, and I'll be happy with that. And so uh, it is good to be here. Uh, we've been going through, and Pastor Josh Yates has been leading you guys through Sermon on the Mount uh, this fall. And this is the uh, last week for Chapter 5. Next fall, we'll pick up with Chapter 6. And so we've been working on that and continuing. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through 7. A friend of mine admitted to me about a week ago, he said, um, I got mad at the pastor. It was one of our other locations. Obviously not here, right? And um, he goes, I got mad at the pastor. And I stormed out of church kind of thing. And his, probably his best friend said to him, what's up? He goes, well, you heard that. I'm, I'm just mad at him. And he goes, well... Are you mad at the pastor or are you mad at the passage? Oh, I guess that's fair. <laughs> so, um, it can be tough being a pastor, and we've been going through a tough series. And um, last week was retaliation, and we realized how radical Christ is. And this week even gets tougher. And so, but before we do that, um, I don't know if you follow up much on Facebook and that, but um, Pastor Yates has given a little bit of an update. Um, they had a vacation, for I think, for a day and a half. <laughs> They're out in California. His mother passed away, and so they had a service here. They were having one out in California. And, um, but while there, their youngest, Sydney, had to go in for emergency surgery and um, came out well. She's, she's doing fine with things. Um, Matter of fact, she even posted a picture of her smiling, which is irregular, but she's smiling while eating hospital food. <laughs> That's her, though, right? Isn't that just the beauty of it? But um, I hope you regularly pray for um, Josh and Jeannie and, and Kylie and um, Sydney and just hold them up your prayers. But I'd like to start today by doing that again, okay? Let's pray. Father, we... Um, Thank you for this church. Thank you for the work you've done here for so many years. Thank you for what you're going to do. Father, we thank you for Pastor Josh and all the hats that he has worn and wears here from a student guy to a worship leader to a... um, lead pastor and preaching um, to counseling to custodial of whatever you need we know that he and the family have been willing to serve you and we thank you for that 
Thank you for bringing them our way and for the impact they've had and will have in our lives. We just pray for blessings on them. We pray for emotional healing, for the loss of his mother, but also for physical healing for Sydney. I just pray that um, you'll even use her in a mighty way right now, reaching those around her. And I pray for wisdom and when to travel and for safety in their travels back. Father, we just pray for this gathering right now. It'll be one that would be pleasing to you. We love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week was the concept of no retaliation. And I, and I think that would have been a radical statement um, when Jesus was saying it, going through the Sermon on the Mount, the things he was saying, and people were like, well, wait, isn't it eye for an eye, tooth for tooth? And he's like, no, don't retaliate. Take one for the team, you know, for the cause of Christ. This week he takes it a step further, and um, just a warning on it. You may not like this one. <laughs> it is one that, as I'm processing through, it's like there's different layers with this, but it's the whole concept of loving our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, we read, You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He gives a phrase, you have heard it said. He uses this phrase a number of times in this passage. It's the concept of, you're kind of hearing something, but I don't think you're hearing the whole truth. The scribes and Pharisees are adding a little bit to it. They're, they're saying that, you know, you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I think they're going for the passage of Leviticus 19.18 where it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. The concept there, we're to love our neighbor. You love your own people. I think they took it to imply, well, then you can hate your enemy. And so speaking to, and we know this is happening more and more in the world today, speaking to itching ears... (laughs) of what people want to hear, the news he would say is, the scribes and Pharisees are giving us like, well, you know, we need to love one another, but our enemies, you, you can hate them. It's okay to hate them. However, Proverbs 25, 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, Give them water to drink. And so the concept that Jesus is saying is, what you've heard it said is not really what the Old Testament said. What you're hearing said is the scribes and Pharisees changing it a little bit, trying to appease you. As I was thinking through this, it's quite funny because I put it in my notes and then I start thinking about on how we treat our enemies today. I mean, we love friends. And then when it comes to enemies, and I put in my notes, and then I was Thanksgiving dinner with family, and um, 
My great niece was complaining about a kid at school that's been picking on her. And her grandmother said, now granny said, right? Grandmother said, well, you know what you need to do. And what do you think the advice was? Pop him once in the nose. And he won't bother you anymore. And, and some of you are like laughing like, oh, I can't believe this. And some of you are saying, well, yeah, that's probably the advice I would have given. Give him a good pop in the nose. Some of you are saying, and, 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 please, I'm not mocking you anyway with a case. But some are saying, oh, no, I'm a little more spiritual. I would not have told them. I would have told them, avoid them. You know what? If they're bothering you on the play, find a different place to play at the lunch table or whatever. See, see if the teacher will move your desk. Avoid them. Isn't that great advice? Where we're like, that's better than popping them in the nose. And Jesus says, you know what? Why don't you love them? Why don't you love them? I spent just a moment with the Greek on this because the, the Greek language, the New Testament was written in Greek, so this passage was written in Greek originally. And so Jesus spoke it in Greek. And um, when he spoke it, there are different words you can use in Greek that are translated the same for love in English. And eros is like an erotic love, but we would just call it love. The, the one that we're familiar with possibly is phileo love from Philadelphia, brotherly love. That's what I expected to find here. I expected the word for the Greek to be here, to be the phileo, at least the root of it being that, that he's saying you should have a brotherly love. Those who persecute you have a brotherly love for them, but it's not. It's agape. It comes from the word agape, and it's the the love that's a sacrificial love. It's the love that Jesus had. And I'm like, I'm, I'm first of all like liking the idea of, okay, you don't want me to punch an enemy. I, I get that, especially as an adult. But avoiding them seems like a really kind thing to do. You don't want me to do that. You want me to, to love them. You don't only want me to love them, you want me to sacrificially go out of my way, love them as Jesus loves In that last verse there of what we read, verse 48, it says, Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he gives examples of like the tax collectors, the Gentiles, and like, you know, loving your your friends. I mean, any heathen does that. He says, but you must be perfect. And the word there in the Greek is more of an idea of being mature, holy, and being called to a higher standard of living. Higher standard of living. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, the believers, the followers there, more than just 12. And he's saying to them, I'm asking you to live to a higher standard. I don't want you to be the status quo. I want you to do something more for the cause of Christ. As I was going through this, I came across in Luke chapter 6, It's kind of a sister passage and maybe like Luke's notes on the Sermon on the Mount. It could also be a situation where I think Jesus reused messages. (laughs) He he, he would share a concept at different times with different crowds. 
But in the one in, in Luke 6, 27-31, it goes, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. For the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. Let me just break this phrase by phrase, if you just follow along with me on this one, okay? Because the phrase, but I say to you, love your enemies, the question that could come out is, how? How am I to love my enemies? But before I go there, why? Why do I need to love my enemies? And I think the first one is because of God's love for us. He loves us, and therefore we should love others. But secondly, we should love our enemies to point them to Christ. Because our whole calling should be to point others to Christ. The how he lays out through here. He continues that verse 27. Do good to those who hate you. I mean, that's pretty basic. Do something good for them. Whatever it is. Think of something that's good for them and do it. Bless those who curse you. Trash talking can become contagious, right? One-upping. And the thing with retaliation, have you ever seen someone totally get equal with the other person and it settle the score? It's normally with retaliation you want to one-up them. Even if it is trash talking or cursing, they say something to you, you go one up on them, they come back. It's, and he's saying, instead of that, what I took away from this passage is if you're blessing them, maybe it's even when they're not around. How do we talk about them? Somebody who's wronged us, how do we talk about them when they're not present? We speak positive of them. Pray for those who abuse you. Matter of fact, it also said that in the Matthew 5 passage to pray for them. I was taken to Luke 23 34 and Jesus on the cross, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to devise garments. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe that needs to be our mindset. And realizing when someone wrongs us. It doesn't have to be an unsafe person, but I understand that. But it very well be maybe somebody who's just lost. They don't realize that God offers something better. Father, forgive them. And then treat them well. And pray for them. Verse 29, to the one who strikes you on the cheek... Offer the other also. I think Matthew 5, it talks about the right cheek. It was, it was normally not a full-out punch because for you to hit my right cheek, unless you're a lefty, which even think back to, for a lot of us, our grandparents talking about, if we have a grandparent who was a lefty, it probably was a unique thing because they made them be righties. 
You know what I'm talking about within schooling and that kind of thing? And it became a a different thing. Even in sports, being left-handed became a change of sports. The the idea of hitting the right cheek was like a backhand. We we may have seen it more of a, um, in the French culture, with taking off the gloves and slap, slap, right? But the little backhand, it was just a a mocking of them. And if they do that, give them the other one also. Don't retaliate. And for the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold from your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. A concept of giving freely. When it hits our finances, it becomes a whole another area. And he's saying, just be giving. Love your enemies. How to do this? Just keeps breaking it down. And then in verse 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Very blessed as a child and through life, but as a child, I lived across the street from my grandmother. My grandfather passed away when I was four, and so I don't really know my grandpa, but grandma and grandpa lived across the street, and then we lived here, and right next door was my mom's sister's family. So my aunt and uncle and my cousins lived right next door, and so we had our little area right down there, just south of Nine Mile and DeQuinder area, and um, not far from Bray's, if anybody remembers putting a donkey on a restaurant, right? But whatever they had, right? But right in that area, we had these houses together. I was next door at my cousins, and um, three cousins lived there, two older than me, and then they had the surprise child 16 years later. And so... Um, cousin younger than me, and I'm, I'm there with my aunt, and all of a sudden we see Lisa go off running, a neighborhood kid, crying. And then my young cousin, younger than 10, comes in just like, da, 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 like this, and my aunt says, you know, Jeremy, why was Lisa crying? He goes, oh, because I hit her. <laughs> why did you hit her? Oh, she wanted me to. Don't think, no, she did. Why do you think she wanted you to? Because you do unto others, you want them to do unto you. And she hit me, so I figured she must want me to hit her. There's a theologian, right? (laughs) He's got it down. I don't know if we realize how radical that statement is. I've been, had um, knee surgery a little bit ago and been in physical therapy recent. And I, it was pretty cool when you go into physical therapy and you find out it's one of your former students, Elliot. Walford is, is my um, physical therapist and just thrilled to see him. He's very open about his faith and talking about it, but he was talking with the group and I, when I went back the next week, I stepped into his office, he was working on the computer, and I said, dude, you said a radical statement last week. He goes, when? What time? <laughs> You're right. And I said, when you said do unto others, I, I said, you didn't say if you don't want it done to you, don't do it to others. I don't know if you've ever looked into this. It's really, that's really the silver rule. If you don't want it done to you, don't do it to someone else. And if you study it, you'll find that phrase pretty close to the same wording in just about every religion. The golden rule is different. Jesus takes it up a step. In this verse, when he says, whatever you want done for you, do it for someone else. I considered going into the book of Esther for this. Do you remember when Haman comes to the king 
And, and he's, what do you, and the king's like, oh, oh, just the person I want to see. If I really want to honor somebody, what would I do with them? He's like, well, I'll tell you what I would like. I mean, I mean, I'm sure the person would like. And he says all this. He goes, yeah, go do that for Mordecai. And he has to do it for his enemy. I mean, the whole, this whole passage in the book of Esther is just beautiful Old Testament read you can go into later. But what I want to point out here is Christianity is so unique because it's not called to be a passive religion. It's not a passive belief system. It's not a just, I take things in, I absorb information. It's an active faith. I live out my faith. I don't avoid my enemy. I love on my enemy. I do kind to them, kindness to them. I reach out to them. I guess it would get one thinking about when you look at the Bible and how you view it. Is it just a rule book to you or is it a love letter from God to us? You know, the word love is used some 684 times in the Bible. It is a love letter of, of our history, of us breaking our relationship with God and him making a way for us to have a relationship with him again through Jesus Christ. If you want to summarize all of those rules and even the 613 that the Jews came up with and the, the, the priests and that, you'd go to Luke 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. He summarizes everything by saying, love God, love others. Love God, love your neighbor. Very intriguing is how this passage continues on. The next verses read, and you're probably familiar with this story. But he, desiring to justify him, said, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, interesting word there, by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, Right, the Good Samaritan? As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Very interesting. Who is my neighbor? And he says, well, this, this guy gets beat up. 
They would often travel in groups to avoid these kinds of situations, but he's, he's traveling and he gets beat up. And the priest comes out, oh, hey, that priest, yeah, he'd be my neighbor. <laughs> yeah, okay, I got it. That, that's, sure, that's my neighbor. And he passes on the other side. Pardon? Okay, well then the Levite, oh, okay, well then the, maybe the priest saw the Levite, you know, but he's trying to justify all this, right? And the Levite passes on the other side. Well, the Levite's my neighbor. We're good. And then a Samaritan. Pardon? The Samaritan comes by. Oh, we don't have anything to do with Samaritans. No, the Samaritan comes by. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus said he had to go through. It was such a, I don't know, such an intriguing statement. He had to go through. He had to go through because he wanted to meet the woman so he could lead her to the Lord, to himself, right? So that she would help reach the whole community. He had to go through. It's such a, because they would avoid the area. They would go around it. They would not go through Samaria. You avoided the Samaritans. They were not our neighbors. They were our enemy. But the Samaritan, and what does he do? He had compassion. He bandaged up what he could. He put him on his animal. He walked while the man went on his animal. He got him there. He paid the bill and said, if there's more, I'll even pay more. He showed love to his enemy of someone he didn't even know. the whole idea of the one who showed him mercy. Mercy is not giving to somebody what is deserved. I think a lot of them, if they, if it would have been Samaritan who was off to the side, they would have understood the priest going by, the Levite going by, and anybody else going by might kick him on the way by. That's what they deserve. They're our enemy. Grace is giving a blessing that is not deserved. That's why the words mercy and grace are so beautiful in our view with God. Of having mercy on us, not giving us what we deserve, but grace offering us something that we don't deserve in heaven. The title for this message I've actually taken from a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He says, the best way to destroy an enemy, which is an intriguing start, right? The best way to destroy an enemy is make them a friend. So I've entitled this message, Make Them a Friend. Make Them a Friend. It intrigued me on how many, enemy, how many enemies did Jesus have? Do both sides have to have hatred for there to be an enemy? They may have called Jesus his enemy, but he's not viewing them. He's showing love and came for all of us. This whole concept of mercy, 
last fall, we went through the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I know, mercy implies that someone's wronged you. There's an enemy because they've wronged you. I get that you've been wronged. I, I don't take that lightly. I'm, I'm not, you know, just passing by that. They've wronged you. But maybe God has something special he wants to do through you in their life. When I think of this whole concept of mercy and forgiveness, I love the passage in Matthew chapter 50, starting verse 15. And Joseph is with his brothers. And if you remember, this is the Joseph, not the earthly father of Jesus. It's the Old Testament Joseph Coat of many colors, right? Donny Osmond, if you remember that whole story of that. But the, 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 the favorite son, the, the one who has these dreams, the brothers hate him, and they finally get to a point where they're like, throw him in a pit, let's, let's kill him, and then, you know what, let's just sell him into slavery, and let's just go back and tell dad that, oh, here we found his coat, it's got blood on it, animal must have killed him, sorry, and just go right past it. And then later, the same Joseph who's falsely accused and thrown in prison and spends time in prison and possibly even 13 years in prison and and then interprets a king's dreams and gets to second highest in all the area and rationing food and saving up while there's plentiful. And and you can go through this whole story in Genesis 37 through 50. But you can finally get to a point where His brothers come back for food. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And he starts to interact with them and gets to a point where he brings dad and all his brothers and their families to live with him and provide for them. Well, now father's going to be dying and the brothers have another plot. And so I pick it up in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, They said it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So he sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. They're lying, okay? Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me. He calls them out on it. He says, "You've, You've done me wrong. You meant to do me wrong. There's no excuse for it. You did me wrong. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, for I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. They viewed him as an enemy. They were worried that he viewed them as an enemy. They had wronged him. They acknowledged that they had wronged him. And they were worried he was going to get back. Time for retaliation. They knew what they would have done. Instead, he says, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. 
God could have stopped it, but he had a plan. A friend of mine, John Rigg, shared something I thought was very insightful. Do you ever wonder why we just can't, like, forgive and forget? <laughs> like, wouldn't it be nice to forgive and all that you forgot and you just go on with life? And he said, it's so much better not to be able to forget. Tell me, tell me why. I mean, there's a lot of things I forget, but I forget the wrong things, right? But wh- why is it good that I couldn't forget that? And he said, because then you have to choose love every time. That when you see them, you forgive by not using against them, by not bringing it up. You choose love again every time you see them. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives the illustration of an enemy, of the Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Who is my enemy? Social media can get out, of, get out of control, get out of hand. We all know that. I think how we respond needs to be in love. I don't have to approve what everyone else is saying. But I need to show love to the person. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I had a guy call me and he said, um, Randy, you're one of those like Bible guys, right? Okay. Whatever that is. Okay, sure. And he said, I, I need a verse. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool because I've never seen any spiritual inkling in this guy. And I'm like, that, that's great. And he said, this person wronged me and I forgave them. I'm like, well, good. He goes, but they wronged me again. I, I need that verse where I don't have to forgive them now. And I'm like, well, I don't think you'll find it. Maybe I should have answered with this one. You only have to forgive them as much as God has forgiven you. How much do I need to forgive? Wow. How much have I been forgiven? Let me wrap this up. If you're here and you know the Lord or if you're online and following and you've given your life to the Lord and you, you would call yourself a believer, a Christian, realize you're called to a higher standard to be mature, perfect. D.L. Moody said, the world does not understand theology or dogma, but it understands love and sympathy. They understand Love. John 13, 35. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have truth, if you have good doctrine, if you go to church every week, 
know, if you have love for one another, this is the characteristic Jesus wanted to be known in his, his followers. If he could pick one thing, faith, hope, love, the greatest of these, if I could pick one thing I want you to be known for, it would be love. We're show love so we can point people to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord. And if you were to die, you're not sure what the future holds. You, you might be in a situation where you weren't sure what would happen the first time you walked into church, if the lightning or the building would collapse. I've heard those people literally feel that way, as if the building is something special. I want to tell you two things. One, none of us is so good that we don't need a Savior. Two, none of us is too bad that God wouldn't take them. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were against God, that is when Christ died for us. It's not when we got our act together and got everything rolling in the right direction. No, it's while we were sinners. Two verses later in Romans 5.10, we don't go there as often as we do Romans 5.8, but it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. While we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, God said, I want to have a relationship with you. God said, I'm sending my son to die for your sins, to pay the penalty, to pay the price of the penalty. Something you can't pay, he's going to pay for you. He's going to die in your place. He's going to pick up the tab. He's going to pay the bill. What's going to cost him his life? Die for our sins, all he buried him, he rose again, willing to offer us eternal life and life to the full. If we'd give him our life, become followers of him, turn away from pleasing ourselves and want to please him. It's a simple conversation with God. A little conversation. We we use the word prayer, but it's just a conversation with God, just acknowledging that I've I know I've sinned. I know I've done things or said things or thought things I shouldn't have. They're wrong. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve heaven. I deserve that literal hell. But you sent your son, Jesus. I believe Jesus is God who died for me, rose again to offer me life. I confess him as my Lord. 
you have that conversation with them, I encourage you to add one more phrase to it. God, thank you for saving me. Because <laughs> he promises he will. If that's something that you haven't done that you'd like to do and you're online, feel free to text us at 97,000 and just put in the memo line, River Connect, and go through it. But ask for verses on how you can know that you're saved. You want to know from the Bible. If you're here, please come by guest services. Just say, can, can someone pray with me? Can someone share with me? If you've made that decision, please let someone else know so they can be praying with you. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your willingness to use us and work through us even when it involves others being against us. Even when the road is a little rougher and the journey's tough, we want to be true to you for you. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, may today be the day of salvation. We thank you for your love. We love you, but we know to love you, we need to love one another. And we're willing to take on that challenge. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.